Welcome to the Nonprofit Power Hour with Jamila podcast. I'm so excited that you're on this new journey with me. Get ready to hear from grassroots founders as they share their startup stories of impact. And if anyone knows me, you know I love a good story. You'll meet my clients, other nonprofit founders, and hear from industry experts as they provide guidance and strategies to help you navigate this nonprofit space. I will provide training in some of the episodes as well. So come on in and invite a few friends. You never know, you may be my next guest. Hey there, do-gooders. Welcome to another episode of the Nonprofit Power Hour with Jamila. I'm so excited today to be chatting with my guest, Dr. Trenace Richardson. Dr. Trenace, how are you? I'm well, Jamila. So good to be here with you. Yes, yes. It's been a while, but we came full circle on this one. (laughs) We actually (laughs) absolutely have. Yeah, so good to be here with you. Yes, awesome. So tell us who you are, a little bit about yourself. I love for people to introduce themselves. I don't think we get to pat ourselves on the back enough. So Mm. throw out some accolades out there. Yeah, I love that. So uh, as was said, my name is Trenace Richardson, and I am most appropriately for this podcast, the founder of Real Women, now called Real Women Rock, because we do. We create safe spaces for women to do personal development work on themselves. And we do that through sister circles. And so I've been doing that for a while now. I'm also the founder of Leading with Soul. We are a mentoring membership community for women where we help women lead with authenticity, vulnerability, and empathy. And that's a year-long program for the women who sign up for it. It's been an amazing experience. Um, I am originally from uh, the Hampton Roads area in Virginia. I've lived in the DC Southern Maryland area for um, over 20 years now. And I currently am the director of the Organizational Development and Learning Institute at the College of Southern Maryland. In addition to the fact that my passions are, and you know, part of my business speaking and singing, I recently had the opportunity to sing uh, on a Netflix special Voices of Fire produced by Pharrell Williams. So um, so I'm just I'm trying to empty myself out <laughs> so that before I'm out of here, I've done all God has given me to do. Yes, amen to that. My question is going to be, when do you sleep? But I already know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about it. We're going to we get it in where we can fit it in. Right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I was so excited to see you on Voices of Fire. I said, let me sit down. Ready? Don't nobody call me. Don't do anything because I am ready. <laughs> and I recorded your session and your mom. Oh, so. that was so kind of you. Thank yeah, you. It, it was, was a wonderful experience. It looks like and it con- was. Yeah, it continues to be. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, well, let's get right on in and talk about what we are best, you know, known for, and what I love is the nonprofit mm. and community and mission and the passion work and all that good stuff. So. In this, you know, this series, I talked to professionals, you know, other consultants like myself, but this Mm -hmm. really was started to talk to you as the founder. And I want to know what your journey of impact has been. How did we come to the birth of Real Women? 
So in order to answer that question, I think I really do have to thank you first, Jamila, because uh, all the work that you do in your nonprofit consulting really helped birth the baby <laughs> that I'm talking about today. So I'm very grateful to you being a midwife. And uh, I guess I'll start with saying that Real Women was birthed out of my brokenness. It was really during a season where I was leading a whole lot of people in education, in ministry, and I was pouring out and helping others, but not slowing down enough to be poured into and to really just be vulnerable and transparent about what I was going through. I really didn't feel safe doing that anywhere. And you can hear, you know, in our mission, we exist to create safe spaces for women to do personal development work on themselves. And I didn't have that at the time. So my husband and I were going through, I was physically ill and I had a whole bunch of stuff going on with me personally. And so as a result of that, I had to get to the point where I acknowledged and recognized that I needed support. You know, we did counseling. I did personal counseling. We did individual uh, marital counseling, but but then I started looking at, you know, the way that I was living my life. I was exhausted. I was giving a whole lot of other people my best and then giving my home my crumbs and my worst. And as a result of that, I just made some real major changes in my life, so much so that I did not uh, keep my full-time ministry position. And I, j I slowed down to figure out what should I be doing? What could I be doing? Of course, I mentioned we did counseling and then my husband, and he he caught I caught him looking up how to help a depressed spouse because I you know I hate, even had to acknowledge that my mental health and well-being was compromised so I slowed down for a long while and then in the middle of all of that just really trying to rebuild personally I really felt like God was saying, you know, you need to create something or exist in something that allows you to be you, all of who you are without titles or positions. And I couldn't find that. My first reaction was to try to find it somewhere <laughs> instead of building it. But he did say build and create. So I, I went to, to create it myself and it was September of 2013 after a lot of conversations and a few conference calls with some women friends of mine that we held our very first sister circle in Prince George's County, Maryland. And we have been meeting since September 2013, at least on a monthly basis ever since. And we've grown since then. Excellent. Excellent. So th there's a lot that comes with self-work, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get to this question a little bit later, so I'm not going. I'm not going to go there just yet. But there is a huge conversation and some gut checking that we must do before we can start anything to help other people. I think we have to be in a in a certain place ourselves if we're trying to give back and help those to get over the same way that we got over. But I want. I do want to talk about the services that real women provide. So. When a woman, young woman, older woman, doesn't really matter when they come to you, what is the experience? What, what do you want them to gain from a session or working with the organization? That's great to hear. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. I think the magic of real women, if there is 
uh, magic I believe there is, is that as a facilitator, me as the founder or the facilitator, once we're in the circle, I have been given the tools, I have the tools, and if there's another facilitator, they've been trained with the tools to keep the circle organized and talking, and I'll share what that looks like in a moment, while at the same time being vulnerable themselves so that they're just as much a part of the conversation. But the training and the impartation is really important so that um, I agree with you that we're at a certain point point where we're able to help other people. So when a woman comes to the sister circle, um, literally we are in a circle when we're meeting physically, uh, when we're online, which we are now, of course, you know, we do our best to connect and engage and ask questions and that kind of thing. But uh, an in-person experience, you come in, a facilitator opens up and introduces a topic that will be covered that day and asks discussion questions around that topic so that a woman can begin to talk and just share from their own personal experiences around the topic. It's very much experiential. So you talk about what you've been through and how, what lessons you've learned as a result. The facilitator then begins to share a few teachable moments. I, you know, both from their own life, as well as from whatever study they've done on the topic. And as a result, we always leave with takeaways. And so these are the key nuggets that the facilitator offers. And then she opens the floor and says, as a result of, you know, those couple of key takeaways and lessons, what do you have to share? What have you learned? And so everyone is able to share their key takeaways. There's no one speaker, one presenter, um, so it's really a, an engaging, uh, interactive experience. Excellent. Excellent. So the work that you do, we all do, you know, mm -hmm. it's meant to change lives and behaviors and outcomes in some sort of way. So I love stories of impact. I love testimonials. I love all that good stuff. So can you share maybe one or two stories of impact that you really would say brings the life of the organization to fruition your vision personified, I guess you could say, without being too personal about this particular experience? Yeah, yeah. Of course, several come to mind. I'll say because our goal in the way that we create these safe spaces is to help women connect with each other in a meaningful way, to help them grow their personal confidence in who they are and who they've, who they've been created to be and what they've been created to do, and then also to be a catalyst of positive change in their lives and the lives of those around them. I constantly see that growth pattern happening in the women that are a part of it. Uh, one person comes to mind now who came, you know, even reluctantly to the sister circles because she didn't trust women. She's had bad experiences with women and coming um, and, and from her own mouth, you know, having some internal and personal development issues, having struggled with some stuff, really sitting in the circle for the first time and finding out there was no judgment there. There was no looking at her cross-eyed, that she was able to hear women's stories that echoed her own. And she she was able to dare to safely share and, and felt like it was a safe space to do that. 
over time, she became more involved and spoke up more and came more consistently to the point where she became trained as a facilitator, Excellent. became a part, yeah, became a part of the Real Women team. And oftentimes that's how our volunteers and trained facilitators come about because of that same track record that they attend and become, you know, really they get on the soapbox about Real Women more, even more than I do, or just as much as I do because they believe in it so wholeheartedly. And regarding that personal confidence, we have had folks um, start businesses. This one has uh, started a business as well as written a book and has really put herself out there to help other people because, again, that catalyst of positive change because she was helped in the sister circle. So we hear wonderful stories like that all the time. Yeah, so that is the vision personified. And that's what we want to see. Those are those if we had to report to the public, right, what our organization is doing, those are the types of stories that we need to be able to share. And it's not so much about the quantity of those stories, it's the quality and the value that even if she were to speak herself, I'm sure herself and share how she has grown, that's how we can know that we're doing the right thing. Because when we start this thing, it's like, okay, this is this is a God-given vision, all right? He told me to go do it. I'm trying to be obedient, but are we really being effective, <laughs> right? So this kind of gives us that confirmation, like, okay, we're on the right track. Now let's just keep going. Uh, so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So in mm -hmm. the same way that your women learn lessons along the way and create these stories of impact, what are some lessons that you have learned along this journey as a nonprofit founder and leader? <laughs> um, well, I think one of the most important lessons is that it's not that you can't, you know, at some stages, but that you should not try to do your nonprofit work alone. I honestly don't believe that you, you know, really can do your best at what you do without the support and the help, the hands, the brains, you know, of other people. But when it comes to a nonprofit, when you want to pour out to others and help others, you really want to share the vision with other people and, and encourage others to be a part of the vision so that you're not the only one talking about the vision and sharing the vision with other people. And I think that has been one of the most important lessons for me. One, I think as, you know, if you, if you're, if you have founder behind your name at all, you are used to having a heavy load and carrying things and doing things alone. One, because maybe you don't want to bother people or, you know, you, you're not comfortable delegating or some folks, you know, we feel like if it's not done by us, it won't be done right. All of these things can have us doing things alone. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that our vision only becomes brighter and bigger when we involve other people. And yes, there will be mistakes made. And yes, it won't always get done ideally the exact way that you would do it. But, you know, when I, when I was doing things by myself, I made mistakes. And so, 
So I made them, I made them by myself. And just to have, whether it's an accountant or whether it's a nonprofit consultant, as I pulled on you, or whether it's a volunteer team, whatever that looks like, your board of directors, you really want to rally the troops, if you will, so that you can impart in them what the vision is and have them share it with others. I can share others, but that's probably the biggest one I've learned. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And you're right. This work that we do, one, legally cannot be done alone, Mm -hmm. Um, but physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you cannot you cannot do it by yourself. You are forever the visionary and your team is looking to you for the vision. But together, you guys come up with a strategy to implement the vision. And that's how we're able to create these stories of impact and sustainability at the end of the day as well, because we're meant to be here for the long run. This is not this is not a game. It, it's not a short term type of thing that we're trying to start here. So having a team is, is critical to the success of any organization. And sometimes it works. Sometimes that team doesn't work. Yeah. But as the founder and leader, we have to make those tough decisions and have those difficult conversations to make sure that we are properly aligned with the right people. And that can be hard. So before someone starts the nonprofit, do you think it's necessary that they kind of assess who they are as an individual, as a leader, business sense? Do you think those things are important? Mm. It's honestly at the center of the work that we do is to really get to know, have some confidence in who you are is one of our tenets. And I believe it is it is definitely a prerequisite that we're doing that discovery and exploration as, as we are starting before we are starting anything, you know, I've evolved, I have, you know, grown, matured, I've become more of me as I have grown in the work of real women, but it started with me knowing that I was clear that this was the work that I was created to do. And I think, so to answer your question, I believe it's a, it's a resounding yes that that exploration, that discovery, that desire to know thyself really clearly has to be there. Because what'll happen is the work is hard. It's challenging. It is, um, you know, when you, when you're giving your all to anything and you want to see it grow and be its best um, in the world, you put your heart and your soul into it. And so Um, As you said, things don't always go right. You learn lessons and, you know, you don't always meet all of the markers you set for yourself. So when you have those kinds of moments, how do you cope? How do I cope with them? All of that will be determined by the stuff that's in me, by what I'm made of. And I have to be clear about that. And and I would translate that to any part of my life. But in addition, definitely as a nonprofit founder starting a work. Yeah. And I had to do some work myself. When I started, I think we all start with a vision, a dream, a goal, a desire. And it's personal. It comes from a very personal space for most of us. While I was getting the degree and I kind of understood the way that we were trying to go, it was this personal thing that I had to deal with and my inability to ask for help because I don't ask Mm. anybody for help. That's not who I am. I I wasn't raised that way, but it's not about you as the founder. It's about that, that population of people that you've decided to serve. So I had to get over myself 
And another mm-hmm. thing I had to get over was the fact that people who I thought were going to support when I announced, they didn't show up. Mm-hmm. I promise you, I had a list of like 10 people who I just knew <laughs> were going to show up in some capacity and they didn't show yeah. up. It wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago that God said, I didn't give them the vision. So why are you holding them accountable for something yeah. that I didn't give them? Oh, that's That so was good. the aha moment for me. I'm like, okay, God, all right. So I held I held on to that for a good while because mm-hmm. I thought we were in one place and I had expectations that I was yeah. placing unfairly on them, you know? So yeah. my advice to anyone is, you know, people will help, but they will probably be totally complete strangers who yeah. will support the vision, help you get this thing off of the ground. Um, so if I could share, that was just kind of a couple of my major lessons learned and doing the work that I needed to do and figuring out what time of type of leader am I, you know, yeah. because they're looking for you to lead. And sometimes leading doesn't always mean you're in the front. That's good. It can oh, be the side, good. the back, you know, and, and I've had to learn that over the years and trust the process. Can I say something about that? Sure. Um, that is so good because I've already talked about the fact that we can't do this work alone and we shouldn't. Um, but the, the nature of real women is that we would create these sister circles across the country and abroad. With that big of a vision, I obviously cannot do it by myself, right? So both of what you said are true. I have found that, you know, there are some people that I thought would be really integral and a part of the the vision and the work that we do. And they either initially started and, and haven't continued or didn't start. And it's been those who I've met along the way who have jumped in and gotten really excited about it. And in addition to that, your second point, I have loved the fact that, first of all, God gave me the the vision to train facilitators because, you know, we want to make sure we create a similar experience at every sister circle, wherever we hold them. And so as a result, we train facilitators, but it has been the joy of my life to walk into a sister circle as an attendee of an organization that I founded and to sit and be able to be poured into, I'm about to cry because at the very beginning of this, I looked for something like Mm. that and could not find it. And so now even as the founder, I'm able to go into, even if it's a virtual sister circle, because of the season that we're in, I'm able to come to that sister circle and sit and be poured into by someone else. And so I just wanted to echo, you don't always have to be the one in the front, that the goal of a real leader is to empower other leaders and to allow their leadership to to be demonstrated so that you can be multiplied. Mm-hmm. in the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let us mm-hmm. not go down that route because, you know, you can go there. <laughs> I can go there. Oh, so <laughs> go somewhere else. <laughs> okay. Go, go, where, go where you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk organizationally. Mm-hmm. The actual business. Because that's the thing. Nonprofits are a business at the end of the day. You know, we've been talking about the services that you provide, the impact you're trying to create, how you're helping the community, but we are a business. What have you found as the most challenging part of the business aspect of running a nonprofit? 
So yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So I will say this again. This may be the second of at least three commercials for Jamila Kemp Consulting because I'm very serious. The organizational piece, I needed support with that because I was used to the LLC structure, the me and mine, you know, the sole proprietorship. I was used to to doing the work myself and, and soliciting help here and there when I needed it for different things. But the structure of nonprofits and making sure that things were in place, um, I needed support with that. So a nonprofit consultant helped me with that. And, and you are she. <laughs> and, and, and secondly, with that, I think my biggest challenge after, you know, honestly, there's so many wonderful people in my life, establishing a strong board that is supportive of the vision and supportive of me and our work. That was not a difficult thing for me. You know, I got support from you to establish that. Here's the thing. I am an English major. I don't like numbers. I love making money. Um, (laughs) I love income, but I don't like crunching numbers. I don't like having to work through and plan numbers and, you know, all of that, the budgets and the this and the that. I really just, I'm allergic a little bit to having to work through all of that. And so knowing how structured and organized and, and yay, even meticulous, your books need to be for a nonprofit. It only scared me not because of my character and integrity, but because of my lack of knowledge and desire to deal with numbers. And so, um, you know, that kept me thinking small because I didn't want the financial numbers to grow larger than what I thought I could handle. But then if the numbers aren't large, one of the answers to that could easily be get an accountant. (laughs) But if the numbers aren't large enough, you can't afford an accountant. So like you gotta, you know, you gotta decide in your mind that your work is worth the energy, the learning, the time, and even the investment Mm -hmm. to, to put in place what is needed. Where you are weak, you know, bringing in someone who is strong. And I think my biggest lesson to that was your first, one of your first pieces of advice, many pieces of advice was get someone on your board who is knowledgeable about the numbers. And so that was the first place. And that helped so much in the first couple of years. And then in addition to her, you know, doing her own business, as well as consulting us, it was beneficial for us to actually hire a consultant to do our taxes and all that kind of stuff. And so now I don't have to worry about that anymore. And we've grown to, you know, we can talk about growth on whatever level you'd like, but we've grown to the point where I'm not paying all the bills (laughs) that the nonprofit is paying for itself. And so we can afford to have an accountant now on the books, but that's, that was my biggest challenge overcoming my small mindset about what I could or could not do and, and thinking bigger about how we can manage supplementing my weaknesses. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And thank you for bringing up that piece of it because it is a huge piece. Um, You know, we're using people's disposable money to fund the organization and we have to have our books in order. But it's it's also more than that. What you said is realizing what your weaknesses are and bringing in people to to strengthen you. And so that's what the team is all about. Everybody can't have the same skill set. They have to be complementary to one another. So That those gut check moments and asking yourself, what am I good at? That's great. You know, roll with that. But also assess what am I not so great at? What do we need? And then go find those people 
a third thing that you said that was awesome that I do want everyone to note is that we cannot do everything for free. We cannot expect <laughs> everything <laughs> for free, nor can we give it all away either because that's not the way to sustainability. So yeah. as we're raising funds, we want to raise those unrestricted funding opportunities so that we can hire who we need to hire to manage the organization. Um, so those are all great points. Thank you for sharing that. So <clears throat> this work that we do is, is really difficult. And you talk about being depleted at the top of this. And that's the reason why Real Women was started. What advice would you give any founder, male, female, young, old, whatever, when they're experiencing a moment of where they are just completely done, there's nothing left, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them to kind of pick themselves up and continue the work? Yeah. So I know we feel like the work cannot be done without us or the work cannot stop or it will all fall apart. You know, um, you know, it can't be resuscitated. It will die if, you know, all of those things. But I had to reckon and I, I say this a million times over to our team and they have seen that I mean it, like I have, I have exampled for them, for myself, as well as when they've needed breaks, I mean it, you know, I don't mm -hmm. just say it. And then you have one of those jobs that say, yeah, take your leave. And then they frown at you when you do. Um, and so I say this often, I've even had to say it to some board members who are my, my I'm thinking of one of my sheroes and she never takes a break. And I hope I'm gonna tell her to come listen to this podcast at this moment um, because we we preach this to each other all the time my advice to you is if you are depleted pause say la stop rest restore the the kind of work that nonprofits do i can safely say this i you know it, it may sound pessimistic but the work will always be there. <laughs> there will always be one more child to serve, one more woman to serve, one more environmental issue. You know, there one more. There will always be the work, and there will not always be you to do the work. If you're just continually doing the work, your gas tank will empty and your car will break down. Um, it is really just important that we replenish and refuel ourselves. And for that, we have to take breaks. And so maybe that means that for your organization, there is a known break. During the summertime, we do, there is a month that we do not do any sister circles. It's either been July or August, but we typically don't do any sister circles. And this was when we were meeting physically so that there was a sister circle happening somewhere every single Saturday. And so for everyone to be able to take a break and just say, rest, restore, have fun, whatever that looks like for you and your organization, you can just let folks know, you know, we are closing our doors for the holidays or we are closing our doors for the summer or, you know, somebody else, maybe you is a, you poured into, you've delegated to the point where someone can temporarily do the work while you get some rest. But um, I, I, I can't justify or excuse someone coming and saying, I can't stop. I can't take a break. You know, I just, I don't allow that conversation to continue anymore 
for because it's not impossible to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. And it's challenging. And you might I even feel like there's some codependent or dependent folks that are going to frown at you, but which is more important, your longevity, you know, you can run fast and peter out early, or you can take the breaks that you need and have some longevity about you. Yeah, absolutely. So this means that we have to be intentional with our planning, you know, yes. if just talking about this particular topic, that's where the, the training comes into play. So if you're on the if you're a board chair and you're serving as the executive director, then there should be a vice chair so that if you need to take some time off, board meetings still happen, things still continue. When it happens on the day-to-day, there should be someone who is able to kind of step in and make sure each of those areas within your organization is functioning, whether it's director of programs or volunteerism, whatever it is. And the beauty of nonprofits is that we can operate 100% volunteer. Until yes. we get to that point of capacity where we can afford to hire people. Now, volunteers do come with the high churn or high turnover because yeah. they are volunteers. However, if you have a system in place, you have documented workflows and you train people yeah. at least for six months, perhaps they can fill the gap. Right. So yeah. that you can take the time that's necessary. So not only do we need to make the time, we have to be intentional about how we have our workflows set up. Yeah. And so if I can add, because oftentimes you, I know you, you run into it, but I have definitely run into it where someone has not taken the time to plan because they just love the work that they do. Right. So they're just, they've been doing the work and the people beside them and working along with them have been doing the work. And it's like, you know, the one man insurance, if anything happened to that one person, all the knowledge is dying with them. because (laughs) So so if if you are in that position and you know you just heard Jamila and I talk I would really just suggest that you transition your focus and priority of work right now. Yeah, you still got to work, but really starting to plan what can what should happen if it's like that emergency plan that you know evacuation what in case of some emergency, what is the plan? What are we going to do to really handle that today, this month, this spring, to get that over with? And then you can get back to doing the work that you love in addition to implementing that planning that Jamila just talked about and the training and all of that stuff so that it's ongoing. You need an emergency plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If COVID-19 has not taught us anything else, Mm-hmm. Is that we need to have contingency plans. No one, I, I don't think, was prepared for this environment yeah. right now for the entire yeah. world to literally shut down and yeah. for some of us to be home for the past year. So that even forced us as an organization to create a contingency plan that we put on our website and just forever keeping our ear to the ground about what's happening and what's the best decision for us. We've stayed virtual because we don't feel comfortable having our young people back together. So that required a a huge shift and pivot. That's kind of what we've been doing for the past year. So it's really important that we, that we have these things documented. And I love paperwork. I love an email trail. (laughs) (laughs) I love to have it on paper. If it's on paper, and even if the plan, you know, the people aren't there, at least it's on paper where somebody could pick it up and say, Mm -hmm. okay, this is where we are. This is what we need to do. And yes, it's another item on the to-do list, but when it's needed and it's done, that's going to be a huge, it's going to make the biggest difference in the success of the organization, how you're able to continue to function. So we call it secession planning, 
but we also call it contingency planning as well. They're kind of one in the same. Um, yeah. So that is definitely something that we don't, we do want to take some time and work with our board and our staff to create. Yeah. Can I say two things about that real quick? Sure. I'll make them quick. Uh, one for us, just really putting some feet, some feet and hands on that. Like we did the same. We went virtual and, you know, keep in mind, we were having several sister circles meeting on a monthly basis and one meeting at least every week in person. And so to make that transition, it didn't, you know, everybody's not in love with the, the vir- none of us are really in love with the virtual venue. Let's just tell the <laughs> truth and be honest about it. You know, but we had to share that that is, you know, this is what we have to do amidst all that is going on right now. And we've been making the best of it. So we made that transition and articulated it. And then one of the things we did, because we do have a donation function. And in addition to that, we have a membership community who pours in on a regular basis to us financially as they as they get poured into, they pour back into the organization on a regular basis. Well, things were changed now because some of their benefits didn't look the same <laughs> in a COVID environment as they did when we were meeting in person. So we made a decision after going through all of the, I'm sure you've been talking about this, but looking for the grants and all those things that are available to nonprofits, we were able to secure a couple of those that allowed us to go to our members and see say, we recognize, number one, the hardship that you might be facing as a result of this season. And we know that our services have had to adjust. So as a result of that, we are not taking, you know, accepting any membership fees right now. We really want to alleviate that burden for you. And we're still going to provide you the monthly sister circles. So I said all that to say, finding the ways to adjust Mm -hmm. and to be creative about how to still service, maybe nuanced, new, innovative things that you can do to service your community in these different and changing times. I think, you know, it may not be the same as it was, but they'll appreciate that you're being flexible and adjusting. Yeah, that's important because unfortunately the need does not go away. Yeah. Yeah. The world shut down, but people were still hungry. Yep. Our young people still need a support. They they need more support now, I, I think, Absolutely. than they did before. So how are you showing up as an organization? That's the question. You so know, good. if you haven't had that, if you haven't had that conversation with your board, your team, your staff, that's a conversation to be had is how are we really showing up? If you're mm-hmm. still doing the same thing pre-COVID, that may be an opportunity to make some changes because the world has completely shifted. The needs have shifted. So while your mission has not shifted, your services provided must, because we have to make sure that we're always meeting the needs of our community and the population that we're serving. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we kind of focus on the mental health component, but that, that was never our staple. But now mm-hmm. our young people, the suicide rates have increased because mm-hmm. they're at home. They're in Mm -hmm. front of the computer all the time. They're being talked at and taught and there is no engagement because nobody wants to be on camera. (laughs) They can't really (laughs) communicate. So how do we show up as a youth-based organization, you know? And I'm glad that you all were able to make that shift. And again, we're not saying it's easy, but it's a matter of talking to our service population. Just simply saying, hey, what do you need in this moment? Yeah. They're going to tell you what they need. And as an organization, we can then figure out how do we best meet this need. So if you have not had that conversation, 
please have that conversation with everyone so that we can make sure that we are showing up and executing in the right manner. Absolutely. So important. So what advice would you give someone who is thinking about starting a nonprofit? They're not there yet. You know, God downloaded the vision. They're thinking about it. What do you want them to know? Yeah, I knew there would be an opportunity and you haven't asked once for it, but this is at least the third commercial because. <laughs> and I am not paying her, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, and it is as sincere as I can possibly be because I have people around me who are amazing, wonderful people, and they have started nonprofits and, you know, they are, at least they look like they were growing. And then I've got mentors who I know their nonprofits are thriving and they're growing and it's taken, and I would compare my one month old vision or my one year old implementation to something someone has been, you know, growing and building for 10 and 12 years and trying to figure out how do they do that? And so, um, so it was so helpful for me to talk with someone who has experience, not just having a nonprofit, but doing all of the things that it, it's necessary to do to start one the right way. And I think, you know, when I invited you to talk on my live, that was so important to me to talk about how to do good the right way because we can mean well we could be you know we could be helping a whole lot of people and then the IRS would be looking for us you know mm -hmm. so it's just <laughs> it's and we and we only meant to do well right right it, so it is so important that we get help from a knowledgeable certified verified source and I have found that I'll start there. But I'd also say be encouraged, like just get yourself in a community of, of those that are talking nonprofit work, that are doing nonprofit work, because it is a different beast than the nine to five you work for. And so having those conversations at the very onset, there are associations, you know, associated with your counties and with your states you can look up that you can connect yourself with to learn more about. Um, I, I happen to live in Southern Maryland and the College of Southern Maryland has a nonprofit institute that provides all its classes free of charge to the community. So you don't always have to pay for everything, but if you're Thinking about starting a nonprofit, you really want to start getting yourself immersed in the language of what's happening with it, just so you can get excited about your vision and the work that you want to accomplish and get knowledgeable about the how behind it. Yeah, that's good. I always preach nonprofit education. It's, it's the information that you need to know. And the internet is amazing but there's so much conflicting information as to what's yeah. true and what's not. And so what I'll say to that, if you do want to do your own research is of course, always go to the .orgs and the .gov sites. Those are more credible sources and always cross compare one source with the other to kind of make sure they're talking about the same thing. Um, and yes, there are free resources out there. There are lots of pro bono clinics out there that you can law clinics that you can reach out to associations and there is tremendous value in speaking to someone who is more veteran in this space because mm -hmm. they're gonna share 
they're going to come from a different standpoint. <laughs> they're going to tell you that the books won't tell you. They're going to tell you things that the website is not going to tell you, but it's going to be so beneficial to your mental space and how you approach the challenges that are for sure to come because they will come. Okay. Yeah. This work is not easy. Um, we don't sugarcoat it, but it's totally yeah. worth it and it's necessary. So I definitely, you know, suggest a lot and agree with you getting that education is going to be important before you even start. Yeah. And I, I just want to interject here because I'm a witness that you are a big proponent of education because I've gotten, you know, consulting from in, in other ways for other things. But when I came to you, the nonprofit consulting that you do, it was really unprecedented for me to see a consultant educate so heavily um, during the process of consulting. Um, you know, you, you would almost someone, some insecure, you know, business person would, would feel like they were working themselves out of a job the way that you in, instruct and educate. And I just so appreciated how unselfish you were with good information, with like the right information, because it made me feel more confident about the work that I was doing and the processes that I was going through. And it makes me comfortable not just referring you to other people, but also coming back myself for, for information because I know that you're unselfish with it and you're not hoarding it for money's sake or anything else. So I just wanted to, to echo that you are really big on education. And I, you know, I'm an educator. I'm, I taught school for a lot, of, a, a lot of years. So that resonated with me that that's how you do your consulting. Thank you. Thank you for that. So there may be women in need right now. COVID has literally just taken its course and they're not quite sure where to go in this moment. What yeah. would you share with them right now? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, my heart goes out to you. My prayers go out to you. I find myself in conversations with the women I'm connected to and Every day, you know, it's a roller coaster ride that, you know, we're always grateful for life and just being here. Um, and so I would always encourage anyone listening who's having a rough time to find the great, the things you can be grateful for, you know, find there's no matter how many clouds are out, there are some silver linings, you're still here. Um, and so, so that's one of the first things that we do, but that roller coaster ride includes grief and loss and relationship issues and depression and, you know, shoot weight gain, just, you know, mm -hmm. a, whole lot is, <laughs> a whole lot can affect us in these times, the way that we have had to adjust and readjust. What I would say most importantly is get into and be active in a support and community of folks that can encourage you, motivate you, inspire you, lift you, cry with you, laugh with you. And I, I am not just saying that for real women, but of course I'm also saying that for real women because that's exactly what we do. We have literally been in sister circles and we call it, you know, giving a sister a moment in the circle because what is a topic that all of us are supposed to cover turns into a moment where all of us are pouring love on one of the sisters 
whose mother is dying of stage four cancer in the season or who's someone who's lost someone as a result of COVID. And so maybe you have that in a family member, maybe you have that in a sister, girlfriend, or a brother, you know, man or, or woman. Um, but if you do not have that yourself, I would say please be intentional about reaching out and finding that. Of course, they're counseling like never before. There are toll-free counseling numbers you can find if you do the research. Um, but there are communities like Real Women um, and so many others that I'm that I'm sure are out out there and maybe uh, near you, um, but we are available to any woman who is having a rough time because uh, we can relate, you know, and, and we'll be there to help encourage you. Excellent. So how can we reach out to you? How can, how can yeah. a woman connect with you? So glad you asked. So realwomenrock.org is our website. Again, that's realwomenrock.org. And we are on all, so well, most social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and you can find us at realwomenrock or realwomenrock, the number two. Uh, we have a YouTube page, Real Women Rock. You just do a search for that. And, um, and we hope we post our weekly lives that we do where we have a sneak peek into a conversation with real women. So if you don't feel like venturing yet into our virtual sister circle, you can check out our weekly lives um, on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and um, um, and then our virtual sister circles, you're not, you know, forced or, you know, made to speak up. You can just sit and soak it in uh, all of our event information about when we hold our monthly sister circles uh, are on the website. Thank you. I was going to share that. And, and because they did receive funding, there is no cost. So please don't let cost be another reason why you're unable to get the support that you need, because sometimes that's the drawback of that's that's the barrier because there is there are no resources for that. So I want to thank you for being available to women um, and whomever funded you. Thank you so that you can continue this work um, yes. in this very important season. So I want to thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I knew this would be good and we went all over the place, but I think it's necessary. Yes. It's what it's what we want to hear. It's what our, our population want to hear. So thank you for doing the good work that you do. Um, may God continue to bless everything that you touch um, mm -hmm. and the women and the lives. Um, and we can be intentional in this work that he has all called us to do. Yeah. And I thank you for the work that you're doing, just really to help all of us shine brighter and do the work that God has called us to do. So thank you for, um, for your work as well. Thank you so much. We mm -hmm. will be in touch very soon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's our show. Thanks for joining me tonight. I hope that you have been inspired, educated, and motivated to fulfill your mission. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at jamilakempconsulting.com. Make sure you subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Leave us an awesome rating if you wouldn't mind and a comment. Until next time, continue to do good. <laughs>